according to his promise. We are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We can turn to Luke chapter 5 once again this morning. Luke chapter 5 for our third session in the uh, Fishers of Men incident. Luke chapter 5. We have actually already read the Matthew 4 and the Mark 1 accounts, although we are utilizing the Luke 5 record as our primary text. Before we begin this morning, let's take time for silent prayer and ask the Father to sanctify our thinking, setting apart this time for His glory, shall we pray. Heavenly Father, we do come before you thankful for your mercy, thankful for the opportunity you've supplied for each one of us to assemble together this morning and to receive instruction. We understand, Father, there were some who wanted to be here this morning and transportation uh, testing has uh, prevented that. We ask, Father, that you would reward the positive volition that desires to be here, overcome the circumstances and details that have hindered that. We do thank you, Father, that you've made possible the website and downloads and tapes and CDs and a variety of other means by which those who are hungry for truth can uh, receive the material. We ask now for distractions to be set aside and for concentration upon your truth. And we thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. In our development of the fishers of men, we have been keying in on some vocabulary here in chapter 5. The basic story goes, Jesus was passing along, he was teaching, there was incredible positive volition. In fact, so much so that was pressing in on him that he needed some distance, needed some space. And so he asks Peter here, called Simon in this text, Simon to put out a little way from the land, it says in verse 3. And uh, he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. And this allows for uh, the Lord to continue to engage in a teaching ministry and not be overwhelmed and not be crowded out and not have the the pressing demands we might say of uh, those who want to touch him and be healed and the other miraculous events that this allows him to teach without distraction and simon is able to provide this administrative support see and so we have similar things that we put into place that the new testament puts into place in terms of deacons and the responsibility and privilege that deacons can have to take care of uh, administrative matters, keeping the pastor free to study and teach uh, and the circumstances around a local church. Following the message, though, the Lord has a uh, private lesson for his future apostles. And this is really where we've been keying in on in point six. After the public Bible class is over, Jesus has a private lesson for his future apostles. He is going to teach them through the circumstances of fishing. And this is their vocation. This is their career. And the night before was fruitless, whereas not due to any fault of their own, not because they were sloppy fishermen or they didn't know what they were doing. They certainly did know what they were doing. They were so accomplished in their uh, fishing endeavors that they actually were um, uh, participating in, a, in an actual fleet of ships in a, a conglo uh, conglomeration, we might say, of multiple fishing, not only single vessels, but multiple fleets in uh, cooperation one with another. So they're very accomplished fishermen by every indication here in the gospel record, and yet the night before was fruitless. 
And uh, when a man finds himself frustrated with his career, then obviously the negativity will be reflected in his language, which we see here in verse 5. Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. And uh, one of the greatest frustrations that any man's going to have is going to be uh, struggles in the workplace, is going to be failure or the perceived failure, and just a sense of, of discouragement of not getting anything done. Like, why am I wasting all this time and energy doing this when it's not achieving anything? But I will do as you say and let down the nets. And uh, some would view that as maybe a glimmer of positive volition on Peter's part. Others would view that as simply an aspect of here, let me prove to you how worthless this whole thing actually is. And so you can view that statement in either a positive or a negative fashion. Um, holding out a glimmer of hope for Peter that maybe the Lord will supply a, a fishing benefit. Uh, or simply viewing it as a negative statement. Now, misery does love company, and so when uh, somebody thinks something is hopeless, then they would certainly not turn down the opportunity to demonstrate how hopeless that is to everybody else so they can share in that mutual commiseration. The problem is, is that rather than a failure, this, uh, this particular fishing opportunity is a resounding success. And so they do, uh, as the Lord has directed, when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break, so they signaled to their partners. And this is really where our study has stalled, or where we have focused the attention. The term for partners in verse 7, and the other term for partners in verse 10. Both verse 7 and verse 10 have the term rendered partners. And yet there are separate terms that we need to take a closer look at. We focused last week on metakoi, we're going to focus this week on koinonoi. And hopefully we can put the two together and develop a, uh, some principles for application because you and I are both Metakoi and Quinanoi with Jesus Christ and through him with God the Father. And for us to understand what it means to be Metakoi, what it means to be a Metakos, singular, a Metakoi, plural, what it means to be Quinanoi uh, will be crucial for us to be rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ. When all is said and done, it is the metakoi and the quinanoi that are rewarded, and those who suffer the loss of reward are those who choose to not become metakoi or quinanoi. So this has been where our study has left off. Their secular work the previous night was fruitless. And then secondly, under subpoint B, Simon's partners, the metakoi and quinanoi, are about to become metakoi and quinanoi, of Jesus Christ. Part of that is going to include fishing responsibilities, but that's not the extent of it. That's not the limit of it. There are those who feel that the Christian way of life is evangelism and nothing more. That uh, the whole goal is, is to get people saved and then they can go get people saved and then they can go get people saved and we end up with just simply a, a never expanding, uh, almost a uh, you know, some kind of a networking scheme or something where we just get more recruits and they get more recruits and they get more recruits and we gradually build the kingdom of heaven just by filling the whole place with babies. That's not the point. In fact, the Great Commission is not make babies. The Great Commission is make disciples. And certainly being a fisher of man is part of that and catching men is part of that in terms of evangelism, but it cannot be limited to evangelism. And so there's a much broader picture to being a metakos or being a quinanos than simply uh, fishing. But fishing is the first step to the, uh, to the Great Commission process of making disciples. So, 
Last week's message uh, focused in on the metakos, the partaker or partner. And uh, that should be Luke 5, 7, not 1, 7. I still haven't fixed that typo in the slideshow. And then the other supporting vocabulary. Whoops, back up one. Compounds or cognate forms beyond metakos, including the verb meteko, the noun metake, and then the compound noun sum metakos, where you are a metakos together with the sum prefix meaning joint or together, a joint partaker, as utilized in Ephesians 3.6 and Ephesians 5.7. I think it's interesting to note, particularly in that last compound form, that we are fellow workers, that we are fellow partakers, but that is alongside and in addition to Jesus Christ, who himself is a metakos, who himself is a partaker in the work of God the Father, because God the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And so our metakos status as partakers, as partners with Jesus Christ, has also has to understand Jesus Christ's role as a metakos of God the Father, and how Jesus Christ never once uh, left the Father's will to strike out on his own, to pursue his own agenda, to pursue his own glory or his own course of action. He, re- he denies repeatedly throughout the gospel record that I did not come to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me, that my teaching is not my own, but is the teaching of him who sent me. And we will come across this repeatedly throughout the, uh, the harmony of the Gospels that we're engaged in here in this Life of Christ study. So all of these passages here on Metakoi, Metakos, are very important. You will notice how a significant number of them uh, occur within the book of Hebrews. Bear that in mind. Part of our priestly privilege, part of our standing in Christ, that He is the Apostle and High Priest of our confession, Hebrews 3.1, and that we are partakers of a heavenly calling. It's so vital that we recognize this. uh, We have to get out of the mindset that belonged appropriately in the stewardship of Israel and in the dispensation of the Jews, but it has no place in our current stewardship. And one of the great brilliant uh, points that uh, Schaefer ever wrote in his systematic theology or other of his early writings when he pointed out that Israel had a priesthood, the church is a priesthood. That is an extraordinary statement. Israel had a priesthood, the church is a priesthood. And that statement right there, just you could preach a month of Sundays on that, that particular issue right there. The fact that we are priesthood. Jesus Christ is the high priest, but he is not standing in the Holy of Holies by himself. He has ushered all of us within the veil. That we all appear before God the Father. That the Father loves each one of us. And we have a priestly function. We are partakers of a heavenly calling. Metakoi. And since that is what he has called for us to do, we had best be about it. We had best not shirk our metakoi responsibilities because it is the metakoi that are rewarded and the loss of reward is very dire for those who choose to avoid the metakoi responsibilities. All right. The next term where I really want to focus for the bulk of this hour is on the term fellowship, koinonos, K-O-I-N-O-N-O-S, koinonos, accent coming on the final omicron, so koinonos to uh, stress it appropriately. The coin roots 
you're going to become very familiar with because all of the uh, terms that we're going to examine today are going to have a coin root, uh, typically at the beginning, sometimes in the middle. When we add the, the soon prefix to it, then the coin will come in the middle. Otherwise, coin comes at the beginning of all these terms. But this is the term for common. This is the term such as we find it in the Koine Greek, for example. We're going to begin a Greek class here uh, probably Sunday after next, probably on the 17th. If everyone reports back to me that they have their textbook, then we can begin on Sunday the 17th for those that have expressed a desire to be in the uh, beginning Greek class. But Koine Greek is the common Greek. Part of the problems that uh, Philip found, Philip the Macedonian, father of Alexander, was that uh, in trying to unify the Greek, the various Greek city-states and the various Greek peoples to form a coherent military, that he found language barriers uh, in amongst the different uh, dialects, the uh, Attic and the uh, Ionic and Doric and Corinthian and other uh, dialects of the Greek language. And Philip realized if he wanted to unify the Greek-speaking peoples as uh, not only as a military force but as a common Greek identity that they needed a common Greek language. And so Koine was really designed to blend the various dialects. Uh, and so as such, it's effectively it's classical Greek with uh, various terms and syntactical uh, combinations that, uh, that were added in. And so it became universal. First of all, it became universal to the Greek peoples, but then it became universal worldwide in a remarkable way. It's extraordinary that for a period of about 400 years, 300 years prior to Christ and for about 100 years after Christ, for just a brief window of human history, you think 400 years it seems kind of long, right? But compared to 6,000 years of human history, 400 years is not that significant. But for a brief period of human history, God permitted for a temporary reversal of the Babel judgments. That is, God permitted on a global scale or a significant worldwide geographical scale for a universal language to dominate, for a universal language to cover the known world at that time. That is, the Greco-Roman world, the, the ancient Persian world at that time was dominated by a common language. And church historians have commented upon that for a number of years, recognizing that it was it was pivotal given the birth of the, of the Messiah, the sacrifice of the Messiah and the uh, universal gospel message that could then go forth. And so for a very brief window of, of, of history, Babel, the Tower of Babel, where nations were dispersed, where languages were confused, where all that was done to the human race for a brief window that was allowed to be undone. That Koine Greek was allowed to dominate much of the ancient world at that time. And church historians and other theologians have commented upon that as a sovereign provision of God's grace that allowed for a universal gospel to go forth following the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. It, it, it does make for an interesting study. It also makes it very interesting to note how in the 21st century we're finding again a Universal language taking shape. That's the language of international finance, commerce, travel, air travel, business. That is the Internet and the English language finding a global dominance the way that it is today. Very extraordinary. Some uh, are viewing that as uh, one of the signs of the times in anticipation of the imminent second advent. Who knows? But we did observe it at first advent, so it stands to reason that a similar process might take place immediately prior to second advent.
In any event, Koine Greek means the common Greek. And so the Koine root for Koinonos means something in common. And that's what a Koinonos is, a partner, a companion, somebody who has something in common with somebody else. They are then partners. They are companions. They are people with things in common. And uh, sometimes, uh, and of course, it could be in a business context, a religious context, a family context. The term itself doesn't stipulate what the uh, grounds of their having things in common actually is. And so let's get a look at some of these terms anyway. We don't have to necessarily look at all of them. But uh, Matthew 23:30. These are in uh, Scripture order, so we can flip through them fairly quickly. Matthew 23:30, uh, where Christ is pronouncing the woes. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous. And say, if we had been living in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partners with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. We would not have been koinonoi. We would not have been partners. We would have had nothing in common with those persecutors of the prophets. And Jesus Christ just nails them to the wall and says, absolutely, you would have been. Not only would you have been koinonoi with them, you would have been metakoi with them. You would have been, uh, not only would you have had things in common, you would have been partakers with them. You would have been killing the prophets yourselves because you were about to kill the Christ. And uh, calls them there the serpents, brood of vipers, and a lot of fighting words here in this passage. Luke 5.10 is our context here in the Fishers of Men passage. We have it a couple of times in 1 Corinthians 10 in a passage I'd like you to turn to for the moment because it touches upon an issue of idolatry such as we're dealing with currently in the 1 Corinthians series. And um, with respect to uh, things sacrificed to idols and the eating of things sacrificed to idols and why it is that some believers can exercise their liberty just fine, but in doing that, they become a stumbling block to fellow believers. And... Uh, the recognition that, sure, there's no such thing as an idol and they're just false gods anyway, so why not partake? If you can give thanks to the one true God and you recognize that the others are just phonies, then who cares? Well, to a point that's true, but you can also say, on the other hand, those imposters are uh, legitimate threats. They are the forces of the adversary. And do you really want to be a partaker with them? And so... We have sharing in verse 16, which is uh, a term that we have uh, coming up under one of the subpoints here is quinonia. But just take a look at this. Uh, verse 14 says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men. You judge what I say. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? And that's quinonia. I'll give you that vocabulary here in a moment. Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Again, koinonia, it's used twice in verse 16. Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. And that's meteko, which we gave you last week. We all partake, meteko. So here's a passage that includes both koinonia terms for sharing or fellowship, and also uh, uh, metekoi terms, such as partaking. Again, verse 17, since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. And that's not simply the external ritual, 
but the reality behind the ritual. We all partake of Jesus Christ. Having placed our faith in Christ, we are partakers. Look at the nation Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices sharers in the altar? What do I mean then? That a thing sacrificed to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. Okay, now this is a chapter we're going to get to in the first Corinthians series after we develop out the principles from chapter 8. We're going to get into this follow-up application here in chapter 10 to recognize, sure, those non-existent deities, they don't exist, but there are demons behind the, that are promoting the uh, false religions, the anti-God religions that uh, idolatry represents. They sacrifice to demons and, I do, and not to God. I do not want you to become sharers in demons. Sharers. There's our verb there. Um, Quinaneo. Sharers. 1 Corinthians 10. And let's see here. Verse 20. I was going to pull the Greek text up here and look at it here in a moment with you together. But so many of these terms are coming up here. Quino, that's actually, it's not the verb. It's the noun. Quinonas. In verse 20, I do not want you to be a koinonos. Huh, you even see on the screen right there. Verse 18 has koinonos. Verse 20 has koinonos. Translated sharers. I do not want you to become sharers in demons. All right. A sharer, a companion. Utilized in 2 Corinthians 1, 7. Our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our suffering, so also you are sharers of our comfort. The privilege we have through prayer meetings, the privileges we have to bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. And you can't physically or literally go through whatever it is that your fellow believer is going through, but you can spiritually be a sharer in whatever they're going through. See, I will never physically, literally experience pregnancy and childbirth. Stands to reason. All right. But I can become a koinonos. Even though I'll never become a metakos, <laughs> I'll never partake in pregnancy and childbirth. Nevertheless, I can become a koinonos. I can become a sharer. I can spiritually come alongside in prayer, in love. And share sufferings and comfort in verse 7. Notice um, this is why this whole beginning of this chapter starts off with comforting and being able to comfort others with affliction. And it says in verse 5, just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. How does comfort become abundant? When the prayer meeting multiplies that comfort. When the number of believers coming alongside is multiplied, then your comfort is multiplied. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. So there is a sharer. Also in chapter 8 and verse 23. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. That is Quinonas and fellow worker, I think, is soon ergates among you. As for our brethren, they are messengers, angeloi, messengers of the churches, a glory to Christ. Second Corinthians eight twenty three. 
And that one I am going to look up. Make sure it is Anglo. It might even be Apostello. Ah, it is Apostoloi. There we go. As for Titus, he is my partner. Etahuperititu, Quenonas, right there. Quenonas with Paul. And fellow worker among you. All right. Philemon in verse 17. Remember Philemon, the runaway, or the owner of the runaway slave Onesimus? Aim for Hebrews and back up a book. Philemon. If then you regard me a partner, a koinonos, accept him as you would me. This is Paul's appeal to Philemon to receive back the runaway slave. If then, and you do, since then, you regard me as a partner, as a koinonos, if then you have fellowship with me, if we have Christ in common, Blessed be the tie that binds. We sing that hymn occasionally. If then you regard me a koinonos, if we are koinonoi, accept him as you would me. Which is, um, what a blessing. Not only as it pertains to Onesimus being returned to Philemon, but as it pertains to all redeemed humanity being returned to God the Father. And Jesus Christ says, if then you regard me as a koinonos, God the Father, accept him as you would me. Ooh. <laughs> and God the Father looks at you and I as born again believers in Jesus Christ and accepts us as he would accept his own son. Behold, my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. There is so much here. And uh, Philemon is the ultimate picture of redemption and uh, substitutionary payment. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Paul says, I'll pay whatever the price. Jesus Christ paid whatever the price to accomplish our redemption. So there's the term koinonos in Philemon 17. It's used in Hebrews 10.33, my favorite chapter of my favorite book. Hebrews is my favorite book. Chapter 10 is my favorite chapter. Verse 33. Remember the former days when after being enlightened you suffered a great, you endured a great conflict of sufferings partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations and partly by becoming koinonoi, sharers with those who were so treated. By becoming sharers with those who were so treated. See, Christianity is not a every... You know, every man for himself, every dog for himself type of survival of the fittest endeavor. We all bear with one another's burdens. We all share in these struggles. If one member suffers, we all suffer. That's not the world's way of thinking. In the world's way of thinking, if somebody's going down, well, boy, I'd hate to be you. Better you than me. Good thing you're falling. Now I can climb up this ladder and take your place. Not so. Partly may I be coming... Uh, a public spectacle, great theater in the cosmos through reproaches and tribulations and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. Realize right now that if your work assignment is not a presently a tribulation work assignment, 
then your work assignment is presently a koinonos work assignment to become a sharer in some in a fellow believer who is presently going through the Thalipsis tribulation. 1 Peter 5.1 Far from being the uh, first pope, Peter says, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Partaker there is not metakos, it is koinonos. Kind of a little bit of a confusion because we tend to associate metakos with partaker. But it is actually koinonos. Right there, koinonos of the apocalyptic glory, the glory that is to be revealed. And then finally, Second Peter 1, 4. I guess we've read the rest of these. Might as well read the last one. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Partakers of the divine nature. That's us. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that, so that indicates the purpose clause. You may become partakers, indicates the potentiality. You may or you may not. Now, volitionally, are you going to pursue these things of God? Volitionally, since positionally you've escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust, but now experientially, are you going to return to that vomit? Or are you going to walk in the newness of life that he has set before you? Are you going to live the word of God according to the precious promises that he has made available? For this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, in your moral excellence, knowledge, in your knowledge, self-control, in your self-control, perseverance, in your perseverance, godliness, in your godliness, brotherly kindness, in your brotherly kindness, agape love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. So you're going to go back to that unbelieving way of living? You can't lose your salvation, but you can sure go back to that unbelieving way of living. So important. Do you want to be a metakoi? Do you want to be quinanoi? These are the passages we must keep in our thinking. All right, compounds or other related terms to quenonas include the verb quenoneo. The eo ending is your verb ending. Quenoneo, number 2841, if you want to pursue that. Not necessary, I suppose, for us to go through all of these references, but you will want to write them down. Romans 12:13. what a powerful passage. The passage that deals with local church harmony, passage that deals with body of believers uh, serving one another. Romans 15:27, Galatians 6:6. 6, 6. Philippians 4:15, 1 Timothy 5:22, Hebrews 2:14, 1 Peter 4:13, 2 John verse 11. Man. 
All right, we'll look at some of them. Because <laughs> if I just leave it to you as homework, most of you won't do it. All right, Romans 12:13. Romans 12:13. Let's make an impact on our thinking this morning. Romans. What is this fellowship about? You might otherwise have the sense that, well, fellowship means coffee and donuts. Does fellowship mean coffee and donuts? Does fellowship mean you're stuffing your face talking to fellow believers about the weather or sports or politics or kids or whatever? It's not fellowship. Fellowship means holding things in common, including fellow sufferings. All right, Romans 12:13, contributing to the needs of the saints. Practicing hospitality. Contributing to the needs of the saints. Practicing hospitality. That first part there. Contributing to the needs of the saints. That's fellowshipping. Not just chit-chat. Meeting needs because you're holding it in common. You're recognizing that this is a brother or a sister with a struggle. And you want to meet that need. Not just financially. Not just externally. But the true need. The spiritual need. The comfort. The encouragement. Plus the financial and the external. And don't you dare just say, you know, I'm praying for you, brother. Be warm. Be fed. And you don't give them anything to be warm. You don't give them anything to be fed. All right? There's got to be a balance. You've got to touch both sides of it. Romans 15:27. So right there in Romans 12:13, you realize it's not just chit-chat over coffee and donuts. Contributing to the needs of the saints. Romans 15:27. Paul says, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, serving the saints. He says, I want to come to you, but I've been prevented up till now, in verse 22. Now I'm going to Jerusalem, serving the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so, for they are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them also in material things. And that's verse 27. And the word shared there is koinoneo, to share. To share. Galatians 6.6, 6, you who are spiritual. All right, Galatians. If anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too be, will not be tempted. Verse Six, the one who has taught the word is to quenaneo, is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Quenaneo, that's sharing. All right. Principles there, such as uh, when a local church feels uh, blessed by the teaching ministry of a pastor and they realize, you know what, we would do a whole lot better if that pastor was uh, supported financially if he wasn't working an outside job, as uh, this local church was pleased to do in 1999 and made it effective in uh, January of 2000, such as the church in Horseshoe Bay is looking to do when they find a pastor. They want to support that pastor. Philippians 4.15 You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia... No church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. 
being a sharer. Being a sharer. And I think there's an aspect to that that we overlook and our missionaries crave it. Not just that we're sending them money. <laughs> Although they, they have financial needs overseas. But that we are sharers with them. That somebody back here actually is reading the newsletters that they're putting out. The emails that they're sending out. That's actually praying for the struggles that they're faced with. To become a partaker. To become a sharer. Not just simply that we're sending funds in their direction, but we are sharing in their ministry. See, not everyone can travel overseas or spend years on, in foreign places and so forth, but you can be a sharer in that work assignment financially, prayerfully, spiritually, in every other way. And as Paul rightly points out here in verse 17, it's not the gift itself, but the fact that the giver is going to be blessed by giving because it is more blessed to give than to receive. And by being a sharer that they themselves will receive the blessings and learn the lessons that they need to learn. 1 Timothy 5.22. Oops, that's Thessalonians. Do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily and thereby share responsibility for the sins of others keep yourself free from sin now this is an application where you have a young man who's not yet ready to be in the ministry he's preparing he's studying he's training he has a gift but he's still being trained in the development of that gift and he's not yet ready he's still too immature he's still maybe he's not a recent convert but he still needs some maturity otherwise he'll fall into pride he'll get eaten alive when he's uh in the conflict of the ministry and if you put him out there too soon, you bear some of that responsibility. Some of that blood's on your hands. How would you like to have even a partial responsibility for the destruction of a flock? Ooh, no, no thank you. <laughs> Don't want to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Jesus said, grab the millstone, toss him into the sea. So do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily and thereby share responsibility for the sins of others. And I hope, if nothing else, that verse gives you an idea of the interconnectedness of believers. The interconnectedness of believers. Where you recognize that, you know what? Is each one of us to bear our own load? Of course. But are we to bear one another's load? Of course. And say, uh, you know... if. My priesthood's my priesthood, your priesthood's your priesthood. If you sin and disobey, you're going to come under judgment, and that's on you, of course. But is there an element to where you share in some of their divine discipline? Particularly if you have a position of responsibility. If you are one who could have offered a rebuke but chose not to, well, they're still going to answer for what they're doing, but you're going to answer for what you're doing as well. Being a sharer in divine discipline. So much more to fellowship than just chit-chatting and drinking coffee and eating donuts, isn't there? Becoming a sharer in the sins of others. Keep yourself free from sin. Hebrews 2.14, this is the reference to Jesus Christ sharing in our uh, uh, flesh and blood. Since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same. He himself also partook of the same. And so we have quenoneo as a verb in Hebrews 2.14. And we have um, 
thought there was a Medicoy term there as well. That through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. This is why Jesus Christ came in humanity. That's why he was born. Did he have to be born? Well, if he was going to identify with us and come in humility, sure. Now, God had made one body already from the dust of the ground. That was Adam, and he fashioned it out of the dust, and he breathed life into it. But he couldn't have done the same for Jesus Christ for a number of different reasons. Sharing in our humiliation is one of those, but also he had to be a son of David, which means he couldn't be a, you know, a fresh human body out of dirt. He had to be a son of David. A lot of other reasons why the virgin birth was necessary. But here is where he becomes a sharer, a partaker. Let's recognize that our partaking is with Christ and through him to the Father. Our sharing is with Christ and through him to the Father. All right, 1 Peter 4.13 and 2 John 11. 1 Peter 4.13. Verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. Why am I having marriage tests? Because you're married. <laughs> Why am I having health tests? Because you're a human being. Why am I having financial tests? Because you live in this cosmos. Nothing strange, nothing weird, nothing abnormal. But to the, degree, to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, here's fellowship. And it's not chit-chat, it's not coffee and donuts. It's the fiery ordeal. That's called fellowship. To the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. So that also at the revelation of His glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. See, for some believers, the revelation of Jesus Christ is going to be a time of celebration and rejoicing. They're going to hear the trumpet, they're going to hear the shout, and they're going to say, hooray! Others, though, are going to shrink away from Him in shame. Why? Because in time, they were not sharers in His suffering. In time, they had no fellowship with Jesus Christ. So why would they rejoice when he returns? 1 John 2.28 Alright? To the degree that you share, you fellowship, you quinaneo, the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. Finally, 2 John. Don't often get to 2 John, do we? 2 John 11. And this is why you have to watch yourself and not uh, be careful with the deceivers, false teachers that have gone out into the world. And uh, verse 10, if anyone comes to you, does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house, do not give him a greeting. Now, this doesn't say you never have anything to do with any unbeliever. We all have unbelieving family members. We all have unbelieving co-workers. We all have unbelieving neighbors. You know, you can't go into a monastery and isolate and, you know, leave the cosmos and go into a, a, a monastic routine. But the flip side of that is, is that you don't have to accept their teaching in your home. You don't invite them into your local church. You don't give them a, an audience, a floor by which they may espouse their evil lies. So if anyone comes to you, does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house, do not give him a greeting. In other words, you be very careful who you put into your pulpits. 
For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds, shares, koinoneos, translated there, participates in his evil deeds. You let a false teacher in your pulpit and you let him espouse those lies, you're a sharer in that. That's fellowship, the wrong kind of fellowship. So something we've got to recognize in terms of fellowship is there's a false fellowship, there's a satanic fellowship that we have to guard against. All right, we've had the noun quenonas, we've had the verb quenoneo. Let's give you some other terms. Quenonia, noun form for fellowship itself. A quenonas is somebody who engages in the fellowship, a partner, a fellow, if you want to just render it as fellow. But quenonia is the sphere of fellowship itself. And I guess in the interest of time, we'll have to limit this one to homework. Romans uh, Acts 2.42, where it is one of the four functions of a local church, along with dedicating to the apostles' teaching, to the Lord's Supper, to prayer, the fourth wing of local church activity is Quinonia fellowship. I hope by now you've recognized that's not just coffee and donuts and chit-chat. Romans 15.26, 1 Corinthians 1.9, 1 Corinthians 10. It's used twice in verse 16. Look how many times it's used in 2 Corinthians. 614, 8-4, 9-13, 13-14. Four different times there in 2 Corinthians you have Quinonia fellowship. It's used in Galatians 2 9. Used in Galatians 2 9. That Galatians 2 passage is one that's uh touches upon things that uh Mr. Dow's been dealing with in the Acts series. And uh, recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James, Cephas, and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, the right hand of Koinonia. Barnabas and Paul were extended fellowship. We might go to the Gentiles and they to the, un, to the circumcised. Philippians 1.5, Philippians 2.1, Philippians 3.1. Three, three different times in Philippians that, that Koinonia fellowship comes up. Philemon in verse 6. Hebrews 13.16. Hebrews 13:16 There's church age application for our priesthood in Christ. Hebrews 13:16 Part of our sacrifices through him then let us continually up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name and do not neglect in doing good and sharing that's fellowship koinonia do not neglect doing good and koinonia sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Not only is it an activity for a local church, according to Acts 2.42, but it is a Melchizedek priesthood church-age sacrifice that goes up to the throne of grace as a sweet-smelling savor. It's used twice in 1 John 1, 1.3. It's also used in verse 6 and in verse 7. So join me in 1 John. 1 John chapter 1, because of the garbage that's out there that's trying to make 1 John a passage for unbelievers getting saved. No, 1 John 1 is for believers that we might have fellowship. It was from the beginning what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at. Um, 
and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the Apostle John writing to believers Believers that need to learn about the confession of sin. Believers that need to learn about staying in fellowship, filled with the Holy Spirit. The fellowship that is indeed with the Father and with the Son. So we think about the filling of the Holy Spirit as fellowship with the Holy Spirit. No, filling of the Holy Spirit is the empowerment, the mechanism that allows us to have fellowship with the Father and with the Son. Likewise, verse 6 and verse 7. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie, do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. That's koinonia, walking in the light. The blood of Jesus, his son, continually cleanses us from all sin. We want to become partakers. We want to be in fellowship. Point C, koinonikos. Quenonikos is an adjective meaning fellowship able, fellowshipable. Is that a mouthful? Quenonikos. 28.43. It's an adjective. It's only used once in the New Testament, but it adds the able onto the end of quenonos, fellowshipable. 1 Timothy 6.18. Fellowshipable. Are we fellowshipable? Are we. Quinonicus, Quinonicus, a little bit of a mouthful there. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. See, financial prosperity is a snare. And what happens with those that are financially blessed is that they lose sight of Fellowship. They lose sight of quinonas. And so it's important that somebody that's been blessed financially in temporal life things, that they become fellowshipable. Quinonikos. It says in verse 18, instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Fellowshipable. Fellowshipable. Storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so they may take hold of that which is life indeed. How do you lay up treasures in heaven? Well, there's a clue. A couple of compound terms, soon quenoneo, as the compound soon in front of the verb quenoneo, to become a partaker together with others. Ephesians 5.11, Philippians 4.14, Revelation 18.4, to become a partaker together with others. Something we're all challenged to do because we're all fellows with Jesus Christ and with God the Father, Ephesians 5.11, Philippians 4.14, Revelation 18.4. Soon, Quinn, I think we're familiar with Ephesians 5, are we not? Be imitators of Christ, husbands love your wives. It should be a well-known passage. The specific citation, though, is escaping me, so I will glance at it. Part of being an imitator of God means that we need to avoid imitating the uh, sons of wrath. 
Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them. In verse 7, For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. So do not become a partaker together with others. Do not become a fellow um, fellowship partner. Ephesians 5.11 That um, term in verse 7 for partakers is the compound sumetakos. Do you have your notes from last week? Just like we have the, the term soon koinoneo here in verse um, 11, we had the compound in verse 7 was sum meteko. We gave that to you last week. Sum metekos is in Ephesians 5 7. Philippians 4 14, Revelation 18 and verse 4. And then finally, a compound with the noun, soon koinonos, joint partner. Romans 11 17. 1 Corinthians 9.23, Philippians 1.7, and Revelation 1.9. Romans 11.17, 1 Corinthians 9.23, Philippians 1.7, and Revelation 1.9. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker, your Adelphos and soon Quinonas, fellow partaker in the tribulation, and kingdom and perseverance, which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos. That's how Revelation gets started. Philippians 1 7. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart. See, sometimes we minimize this, don't we? <laughs> right? Because we're doctrinal believers, we have academic understanding of the Word of God. We have mastery of the circumstances and details of life. We have mastery of the emotions. Through our doctrine of residency, we control the emotional revolt of the soul. And we approach everything academically in the sterile classroom environment of our doctrinal system. <laughs> okay, you know what? It's okay to have an emotional feeling every once in a while. It's all right to have some passion, even some compassion, sympathy together with a fellow believer. It is only right for me to feel this way about you all. See, feel is not always a dirty word. You know, now people turn it into such where instead of thinking, they feel all the time and feeling without thinking is mindless. We don't want that. But at the same time, we should have some feelings I think it's just as wrong if you have thinking without feeling as it is if you have feeling without thinking. Did I say that right? Did that come out the way it was supposed to come out? We all know it's mindless if you're just feeling without thinking, but I think the same, the opposite is just as true. To have thinking without feeling is, is academic arrogance. That's knowledge minus love. It puffs up, but does it edify? It is only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart. Since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of grace with me. Soon, quenonas, partakers of grace with me. All right, Romans 11, 17, 1 Corinthians 9, 23.
All right, those are the compound terms. Now, Westcott had an interesting quote. I thought I'd share it with you. In his commentary on Hebrews 3.1, where we are partakers of a heavenly calling, Westcott made a comment on the contrast between koinonos and metakos. And because he described both terms, I thought that it would be a fruitful comment to make here this morning. As distinguished from koinonos, which suggests the idea of personal fellowship, metakos describes participation in some common blessing or privilege or the like. The bond of union lies in that which is shared and not in the persons themselves. Now that's Westcott in trying to amplify what metakos is all about. And metakos is the term that's used in Hebrews 3.1 where we are partakers of a heavenly calling. And he points out that the metakos application of Hebrews 3.1 does not dwell on the personal fellowship, but rather focuses on the bond of union in that which is shared, the activity that is engaged in. And that is very appropriate to make that distinction in Hebrews 3.1, where the term is metakos and not koinonos. But in the context where we're dealing with both, we're dealing with both metakos and koinonos. So both sides of these are true, just not in a Hebrews 3.1 sense. But in all of Scripture, we are indeed quinanoi in personal relationship and fellowship with Jesus Christ. It is personal. It's personal with Jesus Christ, and through Him it's personal with the Father, and it should be. But it's also not, we can't separate the personal fellowship with the work assignment that must be partaken of. In other words, you will never be a full metakoi if you're not engaged in koinonoi fellowship. So true, you will not be koinonoi fellowship if you reject the metakoi activity partaking. Are you following this? I don't want to lose anybody with the vocabulary of metakoi and koinonoi. But believers are trying to have fellowship. Koinonoi. And they're not willing to be partakers. Partakers of the sufferings. Partakers of the conflict. They'll never realize the full fellowship without the fellowship of his sufferings. So we want to have both. Koinonoi and metakoi. We want to be a koinonos in the singular. Metakos in the singular. We want to have them both. And I thought this quote from uh, Westcott was a good quote to, to highlight the both sides of the issue here. Interestingly enough, this was Alfred Plummer's commentary on the Gospel of Luke, citing Westcott's commentary in Hebrews. So it's a quote of a quote, and you're getting it here this morning to highlight both Quinanos and Metacos. With Quinanos, the emphasis is on personal fellowship. With Metacos, the emphasis is in participation. And we have both the personal fellowship and the participation. If we volitionally submit to that participation, which a lot of believers don't do, quite frankly, they consider the cost, they want no part of it. Sufferings? Oh, no, thank you. Don't want any part of the sufferings. Oh, no. See, I'd much rather go with the prosperity theology message. I'd much rather go with the raw, raw Christianity, the millennial Christianity here and now. Let's bring in the kingdom. We don't need any of that suffering stuff. 
Alright, so that point C, and we'll conclude with this. Although thoroughly unworthy, these temporal fishermen will be transformed into eternal fishermen. Luke 5.10 Although thoroughly unworthy, these temporal fishermen will be transformed into eternal fishermen. Luke 5.10 And I would submit that this is a necessity for service. That until Peter got to this point, Peter had been a follower, Peter had been a student earlier on, Peter had been involved in this uh, baptism ministry, Peter had been involved in Judea, Peter was involved in the journey through Samaria, Peter was involved previous to this. But until Peter gets to the verse 8 status of, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man, O Lord. Until Peter comes to totally confront and acknowledge his own unworthiness, he's not ready to serve. Until the disciples get to this point of unworthiness. Unworthiness. Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. It is this unworthiness. People ask, why do you end all those... uh, uh, monthly newsletters with anoxios. Why does every newsletter article end with anoxios? Unworthy. Unworthy. But guess what? (laughs) We're all unworthy. And when you embrace the unworthiness and when you recognize where the true worthiness comes from, then you can serve. Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Although thoroughly unworthy, these temporal fishermen will be transformed into eternal fishermen. They are going to become fishers of men. And we're out of time. There's uh, a little bit of vocabulary here, nothing extraordinary. Uh, We're not going to build a huge doctrine based on fishermen. But it is indeed a recognition that when you catch a fish, how long does that last? Take a fish out of water because you caught it. And what happens with it? It's dead. It's going to die in the air. You're going to throw it. You're going to chop its head off. You're going to rip it down the middle. You're going to take the bones out. You're going to slap it in a frying pan. Whatever you're going to do with it, right? How long does a fish last once it's caught? See, you can leave it in the water and it's fine. It'll live for the rest of its natural fish life. But when you catch it and you take it out of the water, how long does that fish last? Not very long. It's dead. It's dead already. It's going to rot. It's going to stink. It's going to be worthless before too long unless you refrigerate it, unless you uh, preserve it, unless you cook it. You've got to do something with it once it's caught. That's important. Now, when we catch believers, same thing. You've got to do something with it once it's caught. Anyway, we'll uh, come back to this next week. And we'll move on to the demoniac. Demoniac healed on the Sabbath day. And we'll deal with some of the circumstances there. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for your faithfulness, for your mercy, love, and grace. Father, I pray that we might learn what it means to be metakoi and koinonoi, what it means to be fishers of men, what it means to be partakers of a heavenly calling, what it means to truly have fellowship with one another, with your son and with you yourself, and what it means to share in the ministry of the word, both here and abroad to the uttermost parts of the earth. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.